man walking on the water Now Jesus is a man at the river And he's washing those people's sins away Oh, he can save your soul If you'll give him control And be ready for that judgment day Well, let's all go down to the river There's a man who's walking on the water Come along with me All I want to see is this man walking on the water I wondered so aimless, life filled with sin I wouldn't let my dear Savior in and Jesus came like a stranger in the night Oh, praise the Lord, I saw the light I saw the light, I saw the light Hey friends, this is Jeff and Gary Rayburn, Lonesome Road Ministries, Lonesome Road Radio And we got a great program for you tonight We got Joe Arview and Richard Koss in the house here at Lonesome Road Ministry. And we had a great service, and we want to share that with you right now. So sit back, listen, enjoy tonight's program, and then contact us here at Lonesome Road Ministries, 618-383-2107, or log on to lonesomeroadradio.com. How many of y'all is the first time you've seen me? Gary? Well, see, now I already heard from Linda that she'd already heard all my songs. Those are brand new to these people, Linda. You mind? It's okay. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be here and be with Brother Richard again. And uh, it's good to be with you. I want to, I was hoping to get with you before you died or anything like that. And, uh, <laughs> It could go the other way. I'm just saying. I'm I found that out. So thank you all for coming. We'll see you next week. I'm gonna. I'm just. I don't really know what I'm gonna do because I got a brand new album that's not out yet. I don't have any copies, but I got I got the songs. So, but I don't know if you got a request, holler it out. And if you don't know me and you don't know my songs, don't holler nothing out because I probably won't know it. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I'm a, my hand up. I have done that before, and somebody will request some George Jones song, you know, or Tonight the Bottle Let Me Down or something. <laughs> what? No. I don't know what they think, but I am a Christian, okay? So I'm going to do one of the songs that played on the radio the most, I guess. It's called The Wayfair and Strange. I am people, wayfaring stranger, traveling through 
this world pull Yet there's no sickness toll or danger In that bright world to which I go And I'm going there to see my father To wrong, and I'm only going over Jordan. I'm only going over to home. And I know dark clouds will gather round me. I know my way. It's rough and steep Yet beauteous fields Lie just before me Where God's redeemed Their vigils keep And I'm going there To see my mother She said she'd be I come and I'm only going over Jordan and I'm only going over to home. Texas music here. I need a big old yeehaw before I can get going here. Come on, huh? Yeehaw! You tell me of a home far beyond the sky. Tell me of that home far away. Well, they tell me 
of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Oh, the land of cloudless day. Oh, the land of an unclouded sky. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Well, they tell me of a home where my friends have gone. They tell me of that land far away, where the tree of life in eternal bloom sheds its fragrance through the unclouded day. Oh, the land of cloudless day. Oh, the land of an unclouded sky. Oh, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Tell me of a king and his beauty there. They tell me that mine eyes shall behold. Where he sits on his throne that is whiter than snow. In that city that is made of gold. On oh, the land of cloudless day. On oh, the land of an unclouded sky. Well, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Tell me of an unclouded day. Will they tell me that he smiles on his children there? His smile drives his sorrows away. And they tell me that no tears ever come again in that lovely land of unclouded day. Oh, the land of cloudless day. Oh, the land of an unclouded sky. Well, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Oh, they tell me of an unclouded day. Yeehaw! Joe is awesome. Uh, me and Joe met in 2007, and we've been all across the country together, sharing Jesus. Uh, he, he hasn't let me sing yet, but <laughs> I keep trying to go with him anyway. There's, there's a reason for that. <laughs> but uh, we've been good friends, ain't we, Joe? Yeah, we've been sharing the love of Christ everywhere we go, and, and Joe has got an awesome ministry, and uh, Richard Koss here, he's got an awesome ministry, and ministry costs money, so we are... Not going to pass the hat tonight, but there is a donation box right up here. And if you can help uh, Richard, Joe, and this ministry, just we appreciate it because uh, everything that we do, we just do it because we love God and we love Jesus. And Joe, he's never asked for money anywhere he's ever went. Richard's never asked for money anywhere he's ever went. A lot of times he goes to prisons and speaks and 
He says you can't pass the hat in there because you don't get your hat back. Right. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, that's 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 the way we're going to do it tonight. We're going to uh, leave it up to you and the Lord. Pray about it. Just pray about it and ask God that's right. if you should help these ministries out. And if, if he tells you to, then drop it in the donation box before you leave. And we, we really appreciate everything that you do and how, how you help us get the gospel message into the hands of those out on the road. We, we take the church to the people on the road. And it's all of us working together. And if we can work together to do this, God will bless each and every one of us. But Richard is, uh, I've known Richard uh, not quite as long as I've known Joe, but we've been, uh, we've been hanging out together for quite some time. And he's, he's at our conference every year. Joe's at our conference every year. Has anybody heard Richard Koss' testimony? Yeah, yeah. Have you kissed a frog today? <laughs> if nothing else, the title will get you. <laughs> it's a great testimony, and uh, we have it on CD and on these little QR codes. Wow, good to be with you. I feel like I'll be sharing with the choir. I was having breakfast in St. Joe, Missouri, with a uh, pastor friend of mine. Their Assembly of God Church supports our ministry. He and his wife were at a... Uh, Four-way stop, two lanes, all four ways. So there's a lot of cars. And uh, when everybody was stopped, there was a man who was trying to make it across two lanes to get to the center. And uh, he started shaking. Then he fell down and uh, started kicking his feet and kicked his shoes off. My buddy was about three cars back. said, you know, that guy's having a grand mild seizure. And people drove around him. Nobody stopped. Any direction. Nobody stopped. And when it came his turn to, to go, Brother Joe, he pulled his car over there, a four-door, and blocked traffic and got out, opened his back door, and he and his wife put the man in their back seat and she covered him up, tried to help keep him warm, put her coat over him, and they took him to the emergency room. And then at the same time, a football player falls out on the football field, and millions of NFL fans bow their knee and pray. Whoa. Pretty sad, isn't it? Who cares about the bums? They make pretty good Christians. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, dope addicts make good Christians. The deliverance. Woo! And I'm that way. You know, I was kind of like Paul, the chief of sinners. Isaiah uh, 55, 7 says, Let the wicked man forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, for the Lord will abundantly pardon. Amen? Amen. And I, I was raised in a home, uh, generational sin. You read about it just before the Ten Commandments. And my grandfather was in prison, died an alcoholic. My dad was in the penitentiary at uh, Walla Walla, Washington. And I've got a picture of my dad today in his prison uniform, standing up against the wall. I'm third generation convict. Didn't have much of a chance. Uh, early years were good. We owned five liquor stores. And we had the same nightclub. My grandma was the matriarch, okay? 
she had the purse string, she had the money, and she made money, and she bought land and flipped houses, and you know, I mean, she made a lot of money, uh, which afforded us, we had a Piper Cub, and we had a Cessna at the airport. New cars, new pickups uh, in the 1940s. It was good. But things began to go sour. My mom and dad literally became alcoholics. Depleted a lot of my grandmother's money. There was a lot of, lot of anger in our home. And I got cussed out a lot and pushed around a lot and hit a lot. Uh, my mom was the abuser. My mom had a very filthy, filthy mouth. And my dad hardly ever spiked me, but my mom used to fly swatter, but she uh, would hit me with the handle end of it, which would make two welts and two bruises. And had it been today and I went to school with shorts on, my mom and dad would go to jail for child abuse. But, you know, that was normal back then. I started acting out pretty young, getting in trouble, shoplifting, ditching school, burglarizing uh, unoccupied lake cabins, and and uh, I ended up in the fifth grade stabbing a kid in a fight. All little boys and little girls back in the 50s carried knives, okay? We all had knives. It was no big deal. Today they shoot you in school. But uh, they put me in the Wisconsin State a mental institution for diagnostic evaluation. What is wrong with a, a, a 12-year-old boy that stabs another boy? And I was there for six weeks of diagnostic evaluation, okay? Uh, I ran away. I escaped from that place, and the uh, Madison, Wisconsin Police Department brought me back. And, uh, but they didn't tell me about Jesus, okay? They recommended the Wisconsin State Training School for Boys, two years, and I did two years at uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, a reform school for boys. There was about a thousand of us there. I ran away from that place, escaped, and the, made it all the way to Milwaukee. And police picked me up. I was stealing clothes off a clothesline to get rid of my institutional clothes. They didn't tell me about Jesus, okay? Ended up getting out of there. My mom and dad, by this time, had broken Grandma's bank account, and Grandma retired and um, lived on what she had. And my mom and dad moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota. They were bartending in the Franklin Avenue Bar in South Minneapolis, gangster bar. And I remember a buddy of mine uh, and I going in there one night, and he said, Quick, give me your gun. And my mother was bartending that night. And I gave him my 38, and he shot a guy going out the back door, hit him in the butt, and the gluteus maximus didn't kill him, but he couldn't sit down for quite a while. And he never ratted on us, okay? And I'm a street kid in Minneapolis. 27 arrests. And Judge Bergen, the juvenile judge, uh, slapped my hand a few times, but then it was 30 days, another 30 days, then it was 60 days, and then it was 90 days, and then it was 120 days, and then it was six months. And I did, in my teenage years, I did two and a half years in the Hennepin County Jail, folks, and I didn't hear about Jesus. When the Minneapolis police would arrest me, I was going to draw blood. I was not going to jail without drawing blood on one or two police officers. And I was going to punch them, spit on them, kick them, whatever. Back in the 1960s, you got hurt, man. It wasn't the kinder, gentler police department we've got today in many areas. 
they would beat the snot out of you, okay? Top of my head looks like a roadmap to the Grand Canyon from Billy Clubs. And when I, when I knew they were getting ready to put me in the hospital, they broke my nose, broke my jaw, broke my elbow, kicked in ribs. But when I knew I was going to get hurt real bad, I, okay, man, all right, all right, all right, I surrender, I surrender. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. And when they were putting chains on me and put me in a squad car, they thought they were taking me to jail. No, they weren't. They were taking me home. How sad. I was institutionalized. Three hots in a cot. Man, I'm going home, man. This is where I live. I live in jail. I live locked up. That's my house. How sad, okay? When I'm 19, I'm in a Mexican prison in Chihuahua, Mexico. And I never thought about another life. I never looked beyond the, the, the walls. I never looked beyond the bars. I never looked beyond the fences. I never looked beyond the razor wire for anything else. This is my life. And still, I had not heard about Jesus. He was one of my favorite cuss words, and God was another favorite cuss word. They didn't mean anything to me. I believed in God. I knew there was a God out there somewhere in the universe that did all this. I wasn't into evolution. I had a fifth grade teacher that taught evolution. I, man, that lady is stupid. I knew that. But the God out there somewhere in the universe who did all this didn't like me. Because I'm a bad guy. Well, I was wrong, Joe. He loved me. I just didn't know it. Okay? How sad. I did four months in a Mexican prison. The FBI came after me, and I was in uh, El Reno. And, and some of you know uh, Enrique that comes here uh, in June. He works in El Reno. I think he pastors a church in El Reno, uh, drives a truck, bivocational. But did my time, bailed out, and, and picked up another sentence and went back. I'm home. See, I'm home. I did well in prison. I did well. This is where I live. How sad. But the saddest part of the story, and this is what I want to get across to you, how come I never heard of Jesus? I'm 24 years old and lost. That's a horrible word. Lost. Nobody ever told me about Jesus. No one ever gave me a gospel tract. And I'm sure Satan had something to do with that. You know, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them who are lost, in whom the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of them that believe not, the Scripture tells us. But here's where the story changes, okay? Now, whatever happened to go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel? Whatever happened, you know, to red letter words, you know, uh, you must be born again. Why? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. There's none righteous, no, not one. You know, Jesus said, uh, my fields are white under harvest, but the, the laborers are few. What happened? Where's the Christians today? And uh, we had a warden that hated us. Now, that's good for rehabilitation, isn't it? Your warden hates you. He's afraid. It's a young institution. We rioted twice. One riot was really bad. It wasn't a race riot. It was all the races together against the institution. And probably in an hour and 15 minutes, we did $45,000 worth of damage to our prison, okay? 
And they sent in the uh, National Guard and the Highway Patrol. They took the prison back. Uh, we were locked down uh, and fed through the bean hole for a couple of weeks. I was on the construction crew, so I got out early to help rebuild that, which was torn up. And uh, they shipped that warden out because he had a problem institution. And there was a warden in the federal system by the name of Noah Aldridge. I like that first name, Noah. That's pretty cool. He was probably a 35-year warden. And whenever there was a problem prison in the federal system, they would send him. I wonder why. Because when he became the new warden, things calmed down. Now, what was all that about? Huh? You see, when he came to El Reno... He was packing. He had a sword. And he was a Cumberland Presbyterian. But he was a soul winner. He knew there was no rehabilitation without redemption. No reform without rebirth. Amen. And he made sure 1,200 federal inmates heard about Jesus every week. And he, he put together programs. He got volunteers from Enid, Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma City, sometimes 80 miles away, got volunteers to come in once a month. Many different evangelistic uh, denominations came in. And, and there was church all the time. And I'm just doing my thing until March 16th, 1969. I'm eating breakfast, and here comes a whole bunch of people dressed just like you and I are dressed today from the street. And there were 41 of them, 41 volunteers invaded our prison for the warden's one-day revival. It was a Sunday revival uh, meeting, began at 8 in the morning, went till 8 at night. Huh? Well, let's try that in June. See how many stay 12 hours. Well, I'm eating breakfast at a big round table with some of my homeboys from Minneapolis. Larry was there. He was a heroin trafficker. And one of my, Dennis was there. And, and um, we watched each other's back. And there was two chairs open. And here comes two guys from the street, got their food. And they said, do you mind, guys, if we, if we sit with you? No, come on. You know, prison is so boring. It's the same old, same old, same old, same old all the time. And the sad part about the food, it's all frozen reconstituted. I can tell you food stories that probably make you run to the bathroom. Vomit, okay? I'll tell you one of them. A buddy of mine, his job, I remember, was making chili. You only get chili about once a year because it's expensive to make. And they had... Big old chili vats over, oh, three of them, over uh, gas fires. And he caught a mouse in the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. And he flipped it in one of the chili vats and it went down in the chili. Somebody got some extra meat that day. Extra protein, maybe. Or maybe someone found a little tail. What's this all about, huh? Another buddy of mine had a bad cold, and he was a gravy maker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's why you pray over your food. God, kill it before it kills me. You and I go into restaurants all the time. You have no idea what's going on in the kitchen. God, bless that cook and kill it before it kills me. Wow. Wow. These two guys sat down. They happened to be Southern Baptist deacons. 
And who are you guys? They said, well, we're Christians. We're here for the Warden's One Day Revival. And we want to invite you guys. We love you guys, man. We care about you. We love you. And, and the name of Jesus did not get to me yet. But the word love did. Because I didn't love anybody. I loved my grandma. And when they said Christian, I thought, yeah, I don't know much about this. Still hadn't been to church in my life, okay? And I said, well, uh, Christian, is that like Republican, Democrat, Christian, okay? All right. And they said, well, no, we're, we love Jesus, and we're born-again people, and, and we want to share Christ with you this, uh, this Sunday, and, and uh, would like to have you come to the chapel. And, and I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit drawing me that day at that moment. They had something deep down inside of them I did not have in me. I didn't have any love. I was a broken man. Nobody could fix me. I couldn't fix myself. The lifestyle I was living. Guess what? I wandered over to our prison chapel. There were 160 inmates involved that day. 40 free world people, okay? They had gospel singers, a quartet, and, and a couple individuals sang. They brought two ex-cons with them. One did 18 years for murder. Uh, the other one did 10 years. And uh, they were out of the uh, Kansas State Penitentiary at Lansing. They're out now with a prison ministry. And they shared their testimonies with us. So I listened. You know, guys like me. But they told us how Jesus changed their lives. Jesus came to set the captives free. Whomsoever the sun sets free is free what? Indeed. Free Indeed. And I didn't quite get it. What, what is this? What, you know, I, I don't quite get it. And uh, we broke up into Bible studies, and a uh, preacher brought a message, another pastor brought a message, and it was lunchtime, and I stayed. So I was only going to go to church for an hour. You know how you and I do. You know, come on, Phyllis, get up, put your face on, let's go give God his hour. You know, well, Christianity is more than an hour. It's 24-7, 365. It's not religion. It's relationship. Okay? We've got enough religion. We need more relationship, all right? About three that afternoon. Now, keep in mind, I was a non-crier. I did not cry. Police would beat me half to death. I'd have to go to the hospital and get sewed up and then go to the county jail. All right? Didn't cry. You're not going to make me cry. I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof. That's stupid. <laughs> and uh, about 3 in the afternoon, boy, big old alligator tears started rolling down my cheek, and I couldn't stop. I was a little embarrassed because some of my buddies were there. And, Man, you know, Richard's crying? He doesn't cry. I couldn't stop. God was doing something inside the, the guilt, the garbage, the junk, uh, the sin. God was breaking the dam. And, uh, you know, I went to church that day with an empty hand because I had nothing to offer. But I walked away with everything. And they gave an invitation. All 40 of the street people got across the front and said, Fellas, if you got health problems today, we'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. Uh, if you got problems at home with a wife or kids or mom or dad, uh, uh, we'll pray with you. And uh, uh, most of all, if any of you need a relationship with Jesus Christ today, 
We want to show you scripturally what it means to become a Christian. You couldn't help me back. I'm way, I'm, and I'm way back there. I'm in the last row. Because I always like to keep an eye on things, okay? <laughs> if I go into a restaurant, I always normally sit where I can watch the front door. I want to see who's coming in. Man, they're shooting people everywhere today. But, I, man, I came down that aisle, and wouldn't you know it, those two Baptist deacons were standing right there. And they remembered my name. I'm the first guy out. And they said, Richard, how can we help you? And I'm crying. And I said, man, I'm, I'm not sure about all this. I'm just not sure. But I, I'm a broken man. But I, I understand from what I've heard today, Jesus came to fix broken people. Broken by sin. And, you know, I can't fix myself. And, man, I'm messed up. And for the first time in my life, I don't want to die like this. I want something better, and I understand uh, somebody said something about abundant life, a free life, and me, you know, I, I'm not sure. And Claude, one of those men, opened his Bible up to John 3.16, and see, he did not know I had a belief system in God, but God was mad at me, and that's about it. But he read John 3.16 like this, and I'm sure the Holy Spirit directed him. For God so loved Richard. That did something for me. For God so loved the world, He took the word world out and inserted my name. Now, I've done that hundreds and hundreds of times when I've been leading people to Christ. For God so loved Richard personally, the world, yes. But if you'd have been the only person alive 2,000 years ago, Jesus would have died for you. For God so loved Richard that He gave His only begotten Son that if Richard would believe in Him, Richard would not perish, but Richard would have everlasting life. I'm still crying. But things were different. But God. Huh? We need, a, we need a big but, don't we? Some of you have got a big but. But we need a but God. But God. Then they took me down that famous Roman road. Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23, Romans 10.9 through 13. You know what I found out? I was a whosoever. And my problem wasn't drugs, it wasn't guns, it wasn't, you know, the ornery person that I was. It was sin. And Christ died for the whole ball of wax, man. And they said, Richard, what would you like to do? And I still crying. I said, man, I want to give my life to Jesus. And they laid hands on me and, and prayed for me. And they said, Richard, do you need some help to voice a prayer? And I said, no, I've heard enough today. I think I can do it by myself. And I just said, Jesus... I understand you came to fix broken people today, and man, I'm, I'm a broken man. And, and, and nobody can fix me, and, and I can't fix myself. And Jesus, if you, can, if you can come into my life and change my life and give me a brand new life, you can fix me. I'll serve you the rest of my life. Well, in March, that'll be, I think, 54 years. Wow. And, of course, my ministry started in prison. I had a couple more years to do. You bloom where you're planted. Because huh? I hear them all the time. Well, Richard, when I get out of prison, no, 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 won't happen. What do you mean? Well, when I get out of prison, I, yeah, I'm going to serve the Lord, find a church. You know, no, 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 no. You start right here. You start right here. A couple of weeks, I'll be in a Mississippi prison that has a Southern Baptist warden. 
And uh, it's a gangbanger prison, okay? And they, it's a private prison. They contract from Philadelphia, Baltimore, Chicago, Los Angeles, the worst of the worst. It's a lockdown prison. Only one gang can come out at a time. If they let two out, they kill each other. And he said, Richard, bring your guys in. Bring your motorcycles in. We need to win these people to Jesus. Boy, I like those kind of phone calls. A wide open door. And he's told the chaplain, whenever Richard calls, you fit him in. And we've already, I think, 47 men have come to Christ. And the chap, little tiny black chaplain and a couple of his men have, have baptized them all so far. Wow. Wow. But you bloom where you're planted. And I challenge those guys, man, don't do dead time. Don't do dead time for the state of Mississippi or the state of Ohio. I was in a prison Sunday in Ohio and uh, a black lady chaplain, Chaplain Dove, D-O-V, isn't that neat? Yeah, Chaplain Dove. And she said, Richard, I was going to bring out about 30 boys today, but God's changing my mind. I said, okay. She said, I've got eight boys in a special unit that are our troublemakers. Can I just go get those eight trouble? One's a murderer. And when he turns 18, he'll be going to big boy prison. Uh, can I, would you mind talking to just those eight boys? I said, whoo! Whoo! That's sick them to a bulldog, man. I said, bring them on. Four of them gave their lives to Jesus, okay? It was good. It was good. My ministry started in El Reno, and my, I began to read the Word. Now, this is a new Bible. It's an extra-large print. <laughs> I know some of you that are in the Word, pastor, whatever. My, my last Bible's 40 years old, and, man, I've got a couple hundred sermons in there, and all my notes... Man, it's hard to set that Bible down and pick up a new one, you know, and start putting all my, my notes in here, and, and I've just barely got started, but at least I can see this one. I can even see it without my bifocals, okay? Forty-one of us gave our lives to Jesus that day. Not just me, 41 inmates gave, our, gave their lives to Jesus, a lot of other decisions amongst that 160-some men, and uh, revival broke out. When you take 40 brand new baby Christians and add that to the existing Christians, and there were a couple hundred uh, that professed Christ, revival broke out. I mean, you got, you got 40 brand new baby Christians that the cold water committee hadn't got to yet, and, and they don't know yet, they're not supposed to talk about Jesus. Revival broke out for the next two years. It was awesome. We had no murders, fistfight or two, no stabbings. See, when Jesus comes... My peace I give unto you. You calm down. Man, I was calming down. And they called us over one at a time. And uh, they had our names and numbers. My name in prison is 33476-115. I know you guys that have been in the service, you, you'll never forget your service number, okay? And that's ingrained in you. Uh, we had a Lutheran chaplain who was born again and a Methodist chaplain uh, that was born again and a Catholic chaplain that smoked a lot of cigarettes, Okay. And uh, Richard, we, we want to disciple you. We're having Bible studies over here in the chapel, and, and we've got Bible study courses. And uh, Moody Bible Institute sent them free. We didn't have to pay for those. And we had Assembly of God. Salvation Army was the best one because it was made for prison inmates. 
And we had about seven Bible study courses, and, and I took quite a few of those over the next two years, but I devoured the Word of God. An evangelist came to our prison for a weekend revival, and uh, I got to walk him out to the gate, not through the gate, but just to the gate. And I said, Larry, I said, I heard what you said this weekend. Man, I love your preaching. I, I love what you're doing. Uh, maybe someday I can help you in the ministry. And when I finally did get out of prison, guess what? I helped him for five years. Put up his tent all over Colorado and Kansas and Oklahoma. But I said, give me, give me something in a nutshell. Give me a nugget just for me. And he said, get into the Word and let the Word get into you. Now, I was young back then, and I could memorize hundreds of verses. Can't do that today, okay? What's my name? It's Richard, yeah. And, man, I was eating this up. I became a hog. I'd been in the devil's dark room so long. Man, well, I, wow, how come I hadn't heard about this before? Then I began to read Christian literature through Gates of Splendor. Huh? Anybody read that book? Boy, that'll grab you, okay? About the Aka Indians that murdered all the missionaries and and Rachel Saint went back and led the chief to Christ, and the revival broke out. Now, I got to meet that chief. Now, he was about six foot one. Uh, they put a suit and tie on him. Oh, it was horrible. This is a guy with a loincloth in the jungle. But they dressed him up. And Rachel Saint had learned the Aka Indian South American uh, language and she interpreted for him but he came to Oklahoma City and I got to shake his hand but here's what he said in his own language and then Rachel Saint would would interpret it uh, here in this country uh, you have the little tiny box and words come out of this little box talking about a radio he said you've got another box that pictures come out of talking about television. He said, you've got the monster that rolls down those tracks, talking about a train. He said, you've got the big bird that flies through the sky, but your gospel travels so slow here. He said, when I came to Christ, within a year, I led my whole tribe to Jesus. And we're not cannibals anymore. We're a Christian community. Wow. Boy, you're right, buddy. Our gospel travels so slow sometimes. And I got to meet him, and I was really impressed, except for suit and tie and, you know, all that. And he was a ferocious-looking dude, man. Yeah, and he had the big earlobes, and he had the scars on his face from the tribal scars. But, man... What a neat, neat guy. Back in the day, I got to meet some cool people. Paul and Jan Crouch would have me on TBN about three times a year. And I got to meet Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. I got to meet Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. And uh, got to just meet a whole bunch of neat, 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 neat people, okay? And uh, share my testimony. And one time... They said, uh, Richard, uh, we're going to fly into Los Angeles uh, on a one-way ticket. Don't worry about it. We'll get you back home. Well, they had bought me a brand new car. A Volkswagen Rabbit diesel. Four-door. 51 miles to the gallon, man. Whoa! 
I put a lot of miles on that car, you know, a little five-speed, and wow. Uh, you know, they were just so good to me, and I got to share my testimony, and, and um, I've been a lot of places around the world, you know, sharing Jesus and mission trips, and uh, I've worked with the Mayan Indians in Guatemala, little tiny colorful people. I remember, you've seen all the Mexicans in the back seat of a back end of a, a Toyota pickup, haven't you? They can fit about 25 Mexicans in the back end of a Toyota pickup. But I remember hanging on that Toyota pickup and a guy with a megaphone going through uh, a city in the Mayan Indian country. And they're, uh, in, in just in an hour, we're going to start a church service and um, want to invite you all, the uh, people from the United States of America are here. And they're going to be sharing testimonies, doing music. In one hour, the place would be packed with the windows open and folks standing outside to hear the gospel, just like in America. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way here? Yeah, not most of the time. And, and I remember the women sat on one side, the men on the other, and they would reach out and touch you as you're walking down the aisle. Touch you. And I asked one of our interpreters, I said, why do they do that? They just love Christians from America, and they just want to touch you. Maybe something will rub off, you know. Wow. Had a little girl growing up during that time, and a little red-headed girl. And I had red, I don't know what happened. I used to have bright red curly hair. And I, I, I don't, something went wrong. Couldn't have been old age, I'm sure. But anyway, my little girl grew up, and got married and had a couple little boys, and boy, they were neat kids, and I got to play with my little grandsons. They were two and three years old, and just fun, fun, fun. Just neat little kids, and my son, a police officer, and they liked, when Danny would come to their house, they, they, they'd go out and get in the car, and uh, Uncle Danny, turn on the lights, turn on the siren, and uh, he would, and just neat little guys, and my daughter worked for the IRS. And if you worked for the IRS, uh, you, get, you got to take your children to the Murrah Federal Building in downtown Oklahoma City, uh, the daycare center. And two black ladies ran that and taught the kids, you know, Bible songs and scriptures. On April 19, 1995, my daughter took her two little boys, Chase and Colton, uh, to the daycare center and uh, kissed them goodbye. And three minutes later, truck bomb exploded. 168 people died like that. 19 of them were innocent little children, and two of them were our little boys. They went to be with Jesus. We know where they are, okay? Wow. I was preaching in a citywide crusade just outside of Wichita, Kansas, and I got in my car, and I'm running 100, 110 miles an hour. I like hot rods. I was driving a Camaro at the time. And so I got on it, and policemen were passing me on I-35. They didn't bother me. Anybody that was going that fast, that, that far south, they, they knew where we were going. Uh, I passed fire trucks and ambulances. Everybody was going to Oklahoma City. My son had already called me. He was a rescue worker. He was a cop. And they dispatched him to Oklahoma City, and he said, Dad, I've already found one of my nephews. He said, Daddy, I'll tell you anything you want to know about Afghanistan. And I did two tours in the Marine Corps. Don't ever ask me what I experienced. 
as a rescue worker in all that rubble. He carried one of his own nephews out. And he's still a cop. Matter of fact, he's the chief of police over the Supreme Court today. And yeah, Washington, D.C. Now, he used to work uh, in a different position as a cop, but he was called out all hours of the day. Nancy Pelosi was his boss. I asked him a question. I said, Daniel, when you pass your boss, Nancy Pelosi, in the hallway, does she say, my, my son has his doctorate in criminology. And, well, hi, Dr. Koss, how are you today? Uh, are you having a good day? I said, Dad, she doesn't even look at me, and I'm the one that has to protect her, and he's the one that took her down in the tunnels to a safe place when, when all that garbage happened. How sad. How sad. One of his buddies had been uh, in a certain part of the, uh, part of the uh, capital, and uh, he had the same station for 18 years. And uh, one of the senators came out, and he said, Hello, ma'am, how are you today? And she said, Don't you call me ma'am. I'm not a ma'am. I'm a United States senator. Don't you ever forget it. Two weeks later, he lost that position he'd been on for 18 years and was moved to another building. Wow. We got a mess going on, man. We really do. But my son's a born-again Christian. He's also a professor online. Makes an extra 500 a week. Uh, online teaching at the college, he, he, uh, university he, he graduated from. Wow. But here's the deal. My daughter said, Daddy, you got to do Chase and Colton's homegoing. I started crying. I cry easy to them. <laughs> I said, I can't. I can't. No way. I, I won't be able to get through this. And I went in my daughter's bedroom and I, I'm screaming to God, God, I can't do this, man. There ain't no way. There ain't no way. And I knew there was a, a way, but I just didn't want to go there. And God reminded me, when you're weak, I'm strong. You trust me. I lost it during the music service because it was all children's songs. The Barney Corporation in California knew the little boys were into that stupid purple dinosaur. Guess who came? Barney in costume was there and all the balloons and all the paraphernalia. You talk about a tearjerker. And one casket. It was an oversized children's casket. And both boys were in that casket. And God said, you trust me. I'll get you through this. Cried through him during the music part of it. And, and God dried my eyes. For about 25 minutes. And uh, we gave the boys a fitting home going. Okay. After a, about a month, I guess I hadn't grieved. See, the Bible says we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Uh-huh. But mine came a little bit later. My wife's came a little bit later. Because God said, you're going to minister to the family. Your grieving will come later. But my grieving took off. See, the old Richard Koss came back to life. I said, back off, God. You don't have to worry about this one. I know vengeance is mine. Thus saith the Lord, I will recompense. I said, God, I'm going to take care of this one. I said, I've got a 
a new 45 and I'll just rent me a cop suit and a cop badge and I'll be a cop. And I'm going to kill one of those boys and I'm going to go to Denver and I'm just going to be a cop and slip in with the FBI and the Highway Patrol when they're taken from the courthouse, uh, you know, back to jail or vice versa. And I don't care which one it is, Timothy McVeigh or Terry Nichols. And, and I'm going to get in there and then I'm going to, then I'm going to shoot them. I'm going to, I'm going to kill one of them. And I don't care, man, if I have to go back to prison. God put migraine headaches on me. Never had a migraine. Killing me. Had to live in a dark room with the shades pulled, vomiting, losing weight, couldn't keep food down. And then after about two weeks of my pity party, we have those pity parties once in a while, God spoke. You're tired, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, Richard. That's still small voice. Oh, yeah. You know, he didn't say go to the altar. He just said repent. Repent. And I knew he's right. I know the scripture. Yes, sir. I repented. Migraines went like that. That's why I knew God put them on me. Because he took them off me, okay? And then about a week later, he said, I want you to pray for Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols. And I said, God, come on, man. You're taking this thing a little too far. But I knew he was right because I know the scripture. We need to follow the word. And I began to pray for him. And then forgiveness came. My daughter forgave him long before I did. As a matter of fact, when I was sick, uh, she said, Daddy, you're sick. You need to get right with God. I've already forgiven the men who killed my babies. You know, you know what that told me? I raised my children right. My son forgave them. And I thought, well, maybe I did a good job. Okay? And they're serving the Lord today. Uh, my daughter's got two more children in vitro fertilization. She said, Daddy, I'm getting calls from Larry King and Oprah Winfrey and and Daddy, I'm going to be on the Oprah Winfrey share, show and I'm going to be able to tell our dying, lost, hellbound world how we got through this. Jesus is Lord and Savior of our family. And we trust Him through, through it and for it, for everything. And we, we have forgiveness in our heart. And I'm watching the Oprah show the day my daughter's on there. And, and Oprah said, well, Edie, are you going to have any more children? She just started crying. She said, I had my tubes tied after my two little boys were born, and we've tried to untie them, but there's too much uh, uh, scar tissue, and I can't have any more babies. And she was sobbing. But God, <laughs> an in vitro fertilization specialist in, in Los Angeles was watching the Oprah show. And he called the Oprah show and said, I don't know who he talked to, but he said, here's my credentials, here's who I am. Get the phone to Oprah right now. And they didn't, they're bringing out this phone, Oprah here. And then they handed the phone to my daughter. And he said, honey, I'll give you all the babies you want. And I'll pay for your, uh, your plane fare. And we'll do Knott's Berry Farm and Disney, relax for about a week, and then we'll do the procedure. Well, she got two babies out of that deal, okay, at different times. I got a 15-year-old girl right now, a 24-year-old boy. You know, God is good. He's got a plan no matter what. Well, I got another pardon, okay? Got a pardon from Jesus. We got a pardon that's 2,000 years old. And you know what? You have not because you ask not. Ask and you shall receive whatever you need. Nothing is hard. 
God has made salvation so simple. Wow. You know, even a guy like me with a fifth grade education and a 25-year-old prison GED, you know, I got it. I got it. Praise God. Okay? But I, I was on a panel appointed by Governor Hall uh, to oversee prison conditions in the state of Oklahoma. And never came to fruition. Never. Okay? A bunch of politicians were on it. And they said, what, we don't know anything about prisons. We need an ex-con who's out, doing good, got a good record since he's been out. Well, one of them knew me and said, well, you know, I know a guy by the name of Richard Koss, and he could probably help us in this prison situation, overseeing jails and prisons, uh, making recommendations. It didn't go anywhere. Never visited a prisoner or jail. I think God did it all for me. But God. And on that uh, panel was... Uh, uh, Dewey Bartlett, United States Senator. And he had cancer, and cancer got him. But he became a Christian. He said, Richard, you're a Christian, I'm a Christian. Wow. He said, have you ever thought about a presidential pardon? I said, yeah, man, I don't know. I got a lot of violence on my record. I said, I don't want to embarrass anybody. He said, no, 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 no. He said, I'm going to be with Gerald Ford all winter. Let's pray about this. We prayed for a week, met again. By the way, Governor Hall went to prison during that time for construction kickbacks, highway construction kickbacks. He went to a federal prison. But while he was in federal prison, he got to leave and teach law at the local college. They never let me do that. We met, and I said, amen, brother. Let's, let's go for it. On December 23rd, 1975, Gerald Ford gave Richard David Koss a presidential pardon, exonerating me from all of my past crimes, restoring uh, everything I lost through criminal activity. I can vote today, I do. I can own guns today, I do. On and on and on. And, and you know, it's even got a Jew's signature on it. Attorney General Levi at the time. All right? And when Gerald Ford said, Richard David Koss, it's my privilege as President of the United States of America to grant you an unconditional presidential pardon. Well, I could have said, Gerald Ford, I don't like you. You're a bummer of a president. If I could vote for you, I wouldn't vote for you. You're stupid. I'd have been a fool. <laughs> a transaction, folks, had to be made. It wasn't mine yet. And I saw it. Beautiful document. It's hanging on my office wall at home. It wasn't mine yet. Until a transaction was made. From Gerald Ford's hand to my hand. When I grabbed it and took it, it became mine. Now, what about the pardon from the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? Man, we all know it. The whole world knows about Jesus on the cross. But a transaction has to be made. From God's heart to our heart. God, I accept your pardon, Jesus Christ. Pardon for my sin. And Jesus, come in. I need a Savior. I need a Master. I need a Lord. I need help. Come on in, Jesus. Transaction has to be made. Now, two things. You know, where are the witnessing Christians? I made God a promise. I'd been out of prison about 10 years. And I have gospel tracts in my truck. I use them quite a bit. After I got saved that, 
that day in prison. Nobody had ever witnessed to me again. And I got my leathers on and I ride a Harley and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And still nobody had ever buttonholed me because, I, you know, I might look like I'm a lost guy sometimes, just kind of grody. A lot of people think all bikers are lost, you know. Yeah, they got to be. Now, there's about close to a million of us serving God, okay? There are a lot of biker clubs out there, and I'll be in Daytona soon. And there'll be, there'll be Christian, Christian bikers on every corner in downtown Day, Day, Daytona, passing out Bibles and gospel tracts and preaching. Oh, i got to tell you this. Listen to this. A couple of years ago at Daytona, beautiful day, neap tide. That means the, the Atlantic Ocean was flat, not a ripple. You could have dropped a feather, it would go straight down. Here comes a yellow biplane. And 600,000 biker folks are going, wow, look at that. And he made another. And he goes up and then he does like this a couple times, start falling down, and then smoke started coming out of that biplane. He was a sky rider. And then, in huge letters, Jesus saves. And because there was no wind, it stayed up there for about, a, about 25, 30 minutes before it dissipated. Had there been a wind, it would be gone. Wow. So cool. Wow. It's just fun to serve Jesus. It's fun to tell others about Him. Okay? And, you know, I love the, I, I love the uh, uh, Daytona ministry. Christians from every walk of life go there and share Jesus, do a lot of personal work. Uh, a lot of people get saved at Daytona every year. Okay? We also go to Daytona, Biketoberfest, October, another time we go. Been invited. Remember, how many of you remember Paul Anderson, the world's strongest man in the 70s and 80s and 90s, I think, early 90s. And he was a big dude, came to our church and did a lot of strengths, uh, uh, feats of strength. And the guy was awesome. He has a boy's home. He's gone now, but I've been invited to the Paul Anderson boy's home. They take 20 boys at a time. And uh, raise them and put them through school and college. And I've been invited there to be a, a, a speaker. And that's on the agenda. But I'm always in prisons and jails. You know, I, I call these places my honey hole. I go where people are hurting. I find people that are hurting. I love the drug addicts, the alcoholics, you know, the people that are really messed up. And uh, I've been there. I know what they need. They need Jesus, Okay. But where are the witnessing Christians? My challenge is share Jesus. All right? And, and Joe said, you know, if you're not, let me, you know what? Here's a good one. Joe, you can use this. Get your pen out. You don't want to miss this. If you are what you were, you ain't. What did he say? Well, I usually say it twice. If you are today what you were back then, you ain't. There's always a change. Huh? If any man, woman, boy or girl be in Christ, they're a brand new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We walk different. We talk different. We hear different. Everything is different. You're born again. The old life's gone. But if you are what you were, no change. 
You ain't. Think about it. It might be a good spiritual thermometer tonight. Okay? Let's stand to our feet. Time maybe of prayer, invitation. What do you need from God in this moment tonight? Huh? You have not because you ask not. So simple. In your marriage, in your life, in your family. I've got a grandson in rehab right now. And he's been, he's been clean for nine months. But he's been in rehabs with nine months before. About a half a dozen rehabs. Uh, what do you need? Just you know, Most of us don't have to look outside of our own family to see a need. But God is a need-meeting God. You know what? He even knows our needs even before you and I know we have a need that needs to be met. That's how well He knows you and I. So, altars open. What do, you, what do you need to do? What do you need to ask God for in your marriage, your life, your family, your extended family, in-laws, outlaws? Maybe a ministry's on the horizon. I don't know. What do you need? Altars open. The Bible says, what thou doest, do quickly. Yeah. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. All right. What do you need? Do you know that you know that you know because the Bible tells you so you're born again? Anybody today? Is there one? Is there one? I did that Sunday morning and a lady came and I said, how about number two? Another lady came. How about, how about number three? And pretty soon, seven's a good number. God's number, amen. Praise God, amen. What do you need? Pastor, come on. We'll pray with you, pray for you, whatever your need is today. Got two, maybe there's three. Are you number three? Yeah, I got something I got to talk to. You know, you'll never be taller than when you're on your knees. When you and I are made low, we get to reach high. Amen? Humbling ourselves before an awesome and almighty God. And I praise Him a lot. You know why I praise God a lot? He inhabits the praises of His people. You want to be inhabited more? Thank Him more. I led my grandma to Jesus when she was 80. I led my, my mother to Christ when she was 69. She had seven alcohol-free years. Remember the Philippian jailer and your household. God's concerned not just about you, your household. Yes, you and I, but our families. Come on. There's a Fill us with His love And there's a fountain Like a cool summer rain Drink from the water And never thirst again There's a love Can't be understood. God is great. Oh, God is good. And there's a mercy that endures.
It's a and friends, we don't like to close any program without offering you that chance to just ask. All you have to do is cry out from your heart and God will save you. Just cry out, Lord, please forgive me. I surrender my heart to you this minute and I will live for you from this day forward in Jesus' name. Hey, if you cry out with your heart, then God heard you and God saved you. Now, what you need to do is call somebody and tell them that you just asked Christ into your heart. You can call us at 618-383-2107, but you need to call somebody and tell them. At a table that's filled with pure delight, there's a home for the chosen few. And if your answer is yes, it belongs. It's a life worth living for It's a knock Worth answering your door It's a call Worth picking up the phone And if your answer is yes Appreciate you letting us ride along with you in the cab. And you can contact us at 618-383-2107. Or you can log on to our website at lonesomeroad.org and check us out on the web. You can listen to all of our radio programs on our website on our broadcast from the past page. So check it out. And if you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, then give us a call and let us know. been lost I left a lifetime of misery at the foot of the tree 